Oswald Chambers said this, God has one destined end for mankind, holiness. His one aim is the production of saints. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came to save men because he had created them to be holy. Well, that's true, isn't it? And that certainly is an emphasis of our church and all Bible-believing churches, our desire to walk in holiness. There seems to be, though, emotionally, from our standpoint, a little bit of a downside to that. And I guess from our emotional standpoint, the downside is this, is that we know that the way that God achieves holiness is by bringing afflictions into our lives. That is the primary way where he grows us up. But one of the things we're going to see in our passage in 2 Corinthians today is, yes, indeed, God does bring afflictions into our lives, but he is also the God of all comfort. And with those afflictions comes an unexplainable comfort that comes from the hand of God himself to those who he loves. So those who've been trained by affliction would have it no other way because of the great comfort with which our God comforts us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray that he would transform us with an understanding of affliction and comfort from 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 today. Father, we do look to you, God, and we just carry our burdens, our afflictions to you. Uh, we are many, uh, we, many of us are, are sorely afflicted these days. There are people who are not here today because of the afflictions that they are undergoing right now. And I pray, God, that you would help us to have your mind on our afflictions so that we could grow in grace and that we could be all the more in love with you as a result of the difficult things that we go through. And help us to learn even, Lord, to embrace afflictions, knowing that in their end we would be a more holy people. In faith we look to you. In faith we pray for your comfort in the midst of our afflictions. In Christ's name, amen. Please do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 11 this morning. We began this series uh, last Lord's Day, and we'll be continuing through this book probably up until around June, maybe July. Your, your pastor's never in a real rush <laughs> to get through the Word of God. Uh, and uh, one of the things we're going to see here is this whole emphasis on comfort. Uh, and, and verses uh, 1 through 3 alone, the word comfort is mentioned 10 different times. Now, folks, we're going through a lot of trials, and a lot of you are going through a lot of trials. We need this passage. We need comfort in the midst of affliction. I want to read the whole passage to you, and then we'll break it down in four different parts. One of the things you're going to notice on your insert the home group help uh, is a little bit different this time. Rather than going through the outline and having a bunch of uh, questions where the home group leader might ask, I've simply got, and we will get to these, the 10 reasons by God and his providence causes affliction in our lives. And part of my desire there was so that you would have something to stick in the back of your Bible. So that when you are going through the trials and the tribulations and the discouragements, discouragements of life, you will keep a focus on the word of the Lord and what God says about your afflictions and will not be overwhelmed by your physical uh, weaknesses and your emotional weaknesses. And you can remember that our God reigns and that in his providence, he allows even bad things happen to good people, his own children. 
This is the word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. God says, the Apostle Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ of ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. And we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we uh, despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. First, we want to see in verses 1, 4 through A, the comfort uh, in affliction. And then we're going to see God's purposes for affliction in verses 4B through 7. That's going to be the meat of the sermon. Then we see here Paul's testimony of affliction, verses ten through I mean, 8 through 10A. And then deliverance in affliction, verses 10B through 11. So first of all, comfort in affliction. Paul starts off here, blessed. He's blessing the Lord. you know you can bless the Lord? You know, we, uh, back during 9-11, the church in Columbia, uh, uh, everybody was saying, God bless America, God bless America, God bless America. We had a big bumper sticker made up that said, America bless God. And people thought, well, don't you have that backwards? We thought, no, we really want to bless God, even in the midst of all of our affliction. But that word uh, where, that used for blessing is, uh, is also the word where we, uh, that we get our word eulogy from. It means to speak well of. So we are to speak well of the Lord, uh, especially as we consider our afflictions and our comfort. And, and who do we bless? Well, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's, a, there's, this, um, there's this, this relationship that we have with God. That we understand, as Paul is about to explain, that comfort comes from him. So we turn to him for our comfort in the midst of affliction. But isn't God the one that allowed affliction to come into your life? Yes, he is. But he also gives you the comfort to help you get through that affliction in life. Uh, you remember Anna and Simeon there at the, uh, in, in Luke chapter 2, that precious uh, uh, post-Christmas uh, viewing of Jesus Christ there in the temple area. What were they looking for? They were waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel, and here comes the comfort of Israel in the arms of Mary, Jesus Christ himself. He is the father of all mercies. Of course, this is an also an Old Testament thing. Don't let anybody tell you the Old Testament is nothing but wrath and fury. Uh, the Old Testament also contains quite a ma- amount of the grace of God. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. By definition, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. 
if you're a Christian, one of the things you understand is you deserve hell. And anything that's less than hell that you deserve is something that you can endure with God's comfort. God has, is the origin of all consolation and comfort and the encouragement uh, to the world. Now, this is important because, again, the affliction and the comfort comes to us from God. So when you are counseling someone who's going through difficulty, or when you're counseling yourself when you're going through difficulty, be careful not to, not to enable them in self-pity. And be careful not to be too harsh towards God, as if God is being harsh towards them. Listen, love, encourage, challenge, but understand that what is going on in their life is from the providential hand of God. And don't try to be a semi-professional providence yourself, trying to figure out all the reasons why someone is going through that. Just rest and be with them and help them get through it, right? Because he comforts us in all of our Affliction. He comforts us in all of our affliction. This is not just some kind of theoretical proposition. He comforts us in all of our affliction. As Hebrews 13 says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Folks, you just got to believe the word of God. Because when you are going through a trial, you're tired, you're depressed, it's really hard to believe, isn't it? You listen more to your emotions, you listen more to the world, whatever it was, but you've got to believe this is true. And if you do, you will not be afraid. Now we see here God's purposes in affliction in 4b through, through 7. He says here, Paul, of course, this is Paul, and, he's, and he kind of inserts something of his testimony in there. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or, or we are comforted, it is for your comfort. So Paul sees both comfort and affliction as coming from God's hand. You know, don't be embarrassed of that. God is not evil, but he does, allow the, he does allow sometimes evil into our lives in order to teach us. We'll give you the 10 reasons why in just a few minutes here. I can't, I've, I've had so much comfort from Job, you know. Job went through a lot. None of us have been through what Job's been through. Some of you feel like you maybe have gotten close to it, but none of us have been through Job went through. And early on, especially, Job just had the right attitude without all the advantages we have. And Job said this, shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? It's a good question. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? They both come from a loving God who sent his son to die for us. Evidently, the affliction that comes to our life is indeed, Romans eight twenty eight meant for good. You are sharers of our suffering, so also you're sharers of our comfort. Now, this is part of it, too, is you cannot be an isolated Christian. There is this tendency, and COVID made it even worse, just to go retreat. I recently had lunch with a pastor, and he says, he said, and he, he and I were laughing because we were calling, like, you know, when we're down and we're exhausted and we're just overwhelmed, and, you know, we, we, our minds immediately go to a cabin in the woods with a dog and a gun and some peach trees. And a lot of woods, and no one can find us. Do you go through that yourselves? You know, Calgon, take me away. I am just done with people. I'm done with this world. I'm done with everything, and I prefer dogs. And you're just ready to go. That is not God's plan for you folks. Monkishness stopped centuries ago. 
What you ought to be doing is re-engaging, going on the offensive and loving people. And this is part of what Paul's saying here. We share our sufferings together. There's a person in the church right now that, that has been sick with COVID for, for weeks. And when I start praying for her, I almost feel the headache. You, you know, we, we, we should have that kind of emotional attachment to one another. We, we, we really grieve over the burdens that we're going through. You need the church. You need the parts of the body. When one part of the body is hurting, the entire church says, ouch. That's the sign of, of true community, isn't it? As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, as I've said before, is is it not true? It's easier to weep with those who weep than it is sometimes to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're going to have this envy, this jealousy that comes up when something good has happened for somebody else. We'll say, hey, God, how about, you know, you keep blessing them. How about, you know, how about blessing me? But we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to weep with those who weep. So what it means to be part of the body. All right, now I want to get to your handout here. Uh, and the, the title is God's Sovereign Purposes in Our Afflictions. Even that title should help you. God is in control. The God who holds the atoms together that spoke the universe into existence is the same one who has given you allergies <laughs> and autoimmune disease and difficult professors or you just fill in the blank. First of all, number one, reason for affliction, to glorify God. I mean, that's really our number one for everything in this church. You know, it's, uh, if you don't know the answer to the question, the, uh, just say glorify God. And you're probably going to be right three-fourths of the time, right? Uh, and Paul says this in, ver- uh, in 2 Corinthians. And the whole book is very personal, very much about the whole idea of suffering and comfort. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Uh, we, he, we are weak for a reason. We are broken for a reason. And so that is that God gets the glory instead of ourselves. You know, I think about Megan Rapone, you know, when, uh, when she won the, they won the national soccer thing. She holds that trophy up and says, I deserve this. I deserve this. The Christian, the Christian should say, I deserve hell. And all the gracious things that God has given me, I do not deserve. Glory be to God. Reason for affliction number two, to suffer for Christ so as to follow in his steps. You see this in verse five here. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 2. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you sin if you harshly treat it, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. Don't you want to know what finds favor with God? Don't you want to please God? This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, that, that's a message for the dynamic Christian, the Christian who is jealous for the glory of God, who wants to please God, who wakes up in the morning and says, God, don't let me blow it again. <laughs> I really want to make you happy. I really want to show some self-control here, this kind of thing. This is not a promise 
for those of us who keep messing things up, keep, uh, keep uh, numbers of sin in our life, show a total lack of self-control in areas, and then suffering as a result of what it is that we've done. Like Kent Hughes says, but to the non-committed believer who goes with the flow of the culture, who risks nothing for Christ and therefore does not share the sufferings of Christ, there is no application, no comfort offered here. Number three, the reason for affliction, to cause you to focus on heaven instead of earth. Boy, this is a live one, isn't it? Two verses from 2 Corinthians, one chapter 4 and one chapter 5. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. You can't even compare it. While we are looking not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Y'all, this world is a campsite. Do you ever get anxious? Do you ever go up to Davidson River campsite there on the Davidson River up near Brevard? Just beautiful place, you know. And do you get all uptight? The camellias are not trimmed. There's a lack of trout in the stream. I believe that hickory tree is starting to die. You just don't get, right? Because it ain't your home. You don't need to be anxious about the Davidson River campsite. You need to put your tent there, you stay there for the week, and you come back, probably covered with mosquito bite. Well, y'all, this is not our home. It's not the home. Isn't that one reason why you became a Christian in the first place? There was this groaning inside of you that says, I was made for a place other than this. And that's where we are to put our hope, right? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. As I was uh, going through some of, the, uh, uh, some of the effects of COVID, you know, I started my own little pity party here, and I was going through some Instagram, um, what do they call them, films, movies, whatever they are. And then there's, this, there's this, uh, this little video of a child without arms or legs. And I just started to weep. I thought, what am I complaining about? Here's this baby, cheerful as can be without arms and legs. I mean, you know, that seems, I guess that's kind of low-level encouragement. But it helps every now and then, doesn't it? It helps every now and then. We've got to keep our focus on heaven. I think that wonderful illustration of Elisha in 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, I love that, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city. And the servant said to him, alas, my master, that is to Elijah, what shall we do? So Elisha answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with him. And of course the servants think of those who are with us. All I'm, all this guy with me is this old prophet, you know. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Oh, if just, if God would give us just a second to see the angels that are in here today. The chariots of fire that are surrounding and protecting this church right now that follow you home, that care for you. If we could just see that for a second, what a gift that would be. But you know what? If we did let us do that, you know what would happen? We'd get prideful, right? I mean, it happened to Paul. He got taken up in the third heaven. God gave him a thorn in the side, right? So he doesn't allow us to see that. We see it in faith, don't we? 
And praise God, we, we can see it through Elisha's eyes as well. The reason for number four for your affliction to show where your loyalties really lie. This great illustration here is Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Isaac was the child of the promise. Abraham knew that he would be the heir. He didn't fully understand, but God says, go up and sacrifice him. He goes up to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, which later becomes the Temple Mount. And then God intervenes. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do, not, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Are you going to trust God in the midst of your affliction? Or are you going to cave and you're going to treat it the way the rest of the world treats it? If you do, are you going to come back to God? Because we fail all the time, right? Reason for affliction number five, to correct your sin and teach you obedience. Now, this one's direct. This, in some ways, mentally speaking, this ought to be number one. Is this happening to me because of some stupid sin I keep committing? Right? But I'm one of those sensitive of conscience people, so I think everything happens to me because of some stupid sin committed. So, and a lot of you are like that, so I intentionally didn't put this number one, but it ought to be something that you put in the forefront of your mind. You know, am I full of anxiety because I am an idiot with money? Or have God taken away some money so for some of these other reasons? But this is a legitimate question. Uh, Psalm 119, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. First Peter 4, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. So there is suffering that does come because of our sin, and God allows it to come to teach us. Just like a loving parent disciplines their child when he does something wrong, our God and Father will discipline us when we do something wrong. Okay? But that is not the only reason for That's too much, too often the default. You remember the, uh, the, remember the man born blind in Jerusalem and the disciples come in and they say, Jesus, tell us, was it this man's sin or his father's sin that caused him to be born blind? Sure, it had to be one or the other. This has got to be a sin thing, right? Jesus says it was not this man's sin nor his father's, but the, the works of God would be made known, right? So frankly, a lot of the reason why you're struggling through afflictions is so that the works of God may be made known. It is not related to your sin. It is related to the fall of man and sin in general. We're not going to suffer in heaven. But you do need to ask that question. What discipline do I need to put into my life, perhaps, that would keep me from continuing to suffer through this affliction? Reason number six, to teach you humility, right? This is, again, for the testimony of Apostle Paul, which we'll get to probably sometime in April or May. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that is his his, uh, being taken up into heaven, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I asked God three times to depart from me. So God did not answer the apostles Paul's prayer. If God's not answering your prayer the way you want it, you're in good company. And he said to me, and this is key, folks, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. That doesn't make a lick of sense to the world, but it makes a lot of sense if you've gone through affliction. 
Y'all, I was typing these notes. It's been three weeks since I had COVID, and I'm still struggling with fatigue and other things. I'm, I'm literally got my hand, I'm typing these notes. Affliction is good. God is good. Trust in the Lord. Sarah, please have one of the deacons shoot me. You know? <laughs> and it's a little hard to get cheerful when you're going through that, right? But his power is... Pre- I'm preaching it today. I got these even color-coordinated little notes right here. God got me through, right? Maybe that made it better. Maybe it made it better. The reason for affliction number seven is to realize God's compassion. Isaiah 49, shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, and how many times have we countered that truth with something we might say, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. God can't forget you because every time he looks at his hand, he sees your name. Malcolm Ferry. Right there. And your name. He's got really big hands. Can a nursing child forget their mother? You women who know. You've you've nursed babies. You hear that baby cry, your body goes, it's time to feed that baby, right? You can't forget them. You can't forget them, even if you wanted to. It is very difficult to get a nursing mom to go on vacation away from their children. Some of you are thinking, give me a shot. I'd like to test that theory. They just, there's a bond there. God is your nursing mother. He cannot forget you. God has written your name on his palm of his hands. That's really helpful when you're going through a hard time. Well, why is he giving me through a hard time? Because it's better for you. And it's better for the kingdom. And it's not all about you. And he's got his purposes. The same God, the same nursing mom is going to spank that child as well. Does that make the nursing mom evil? No, that actually makes her good. Also to... uh, To make us more useful, affliction number eight. James says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I was counseling with a young man who's uh, madly in love. We're talking about marriage and stuff like that. And, and, and I was saying, listen, if for no other reason, marriage is really, really good for you because it's so hard. Because you have to get used to hardly ever getting your way, it seems like, right? There's a growing effect of having to, to die to self constantly. And marriage is, and having children are probably the number, way, number one and number two ways of doing that, right? It, we, we, we are just consumed, especially in our culture. Everything is centered around figuring out ways to not suffer, even to the point of suffering inconvenience. We just can't have any inconvenience in our life. Everything's got to be exactly what it is. And it's made us very, very soft. And as a result, we've become very, very immature. And we're learning things at age 60. We sure learned at age 16 that previous generations did. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and hunt for affliction. Trust me, you don't need to. It'll find you. 
but it does mean that you need to value affliction and enjoy the comfort that God gives you in the midst of it. Kent Hughes says this, Affliction is essential. What we conclude here is that affliction was the keys to Paul's effectiveness in ministry, and affliction is the key to effective ministry today. You know, when Paul goes through all the bad things that have happened to him, being stoned, being beaten, and everything, and the one that always hits me, and I, you know this always hits me because I've mentioned it 45,000 times, he was shipwrecked three times. Sh- never, ever get on a boat with the Apostle Paul. That's one lesson. Shipwrecked three no one gets shipwrecked three times. Have you ever been shipwrecked? No, see? Prove my point. Shipwrecked three. God, he's Paul. He's really trying to do the right thing. Does that ever go through your mind? Trying to do the right thing. He gets shipwrecked three times. He was going to go plant a church. That's where his journey was going to take him. And you had him floating in the Mediterranean Sea three times. Why? Because I'm creating Paul. You think Paul just got that way? Floating in the water will do a lot to clear the mind, you know? Going through whatever you're going through has its purposes to make you more useful. Reason number nine, enable you to comfort others. Verse four, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves have comforted them. When we, when we go through a trial, especially a severe trial, we seek out people who've been through that same trial. I can't, I can't tell you the number of times people have talked to Marguerite and Sterling Dunlap about what it's like to lose a child. Everybody in town knows what they've gone through, and they go towards them. There's a reason for things. Don't waste your affliction. Use it to help others get through it. Can God get us through by himself? Yeah, but he, he wasn't designed that way. You need a church. Don't waste the stupid things you do or the sin that you've done that have brought affliction to your life either. Help people learn to repent so they don't make the same mistakes you've made. I love this illustration. The Apostle Peter, right? Jesus in the night when he was betrayed says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission. I love that, demanded permission (laughs) to sift you like wheat. The devil is God's devil. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned again, what? Strengthen your brothers. Uh, Peter's effectiveness as the the chief of all the apostles went from this to this when he failed, when he denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored him, and he said, I'm going to help others not make that same mistake. He enabled Peter to comfort others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as we'll see sometime around March, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concerns? If I have to boast, I will boast on what pertains to my weakness. And then finally, reason number 10 for your little Bible inserts for you to look at whenever you go through these difficulties is to test the validity of our faith. Verse 9 says, We have the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says this, You shall remember all the the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Right? 
So, you know, you go through this and you think, just how much can affliction can, can, can a person take? Well, Paul's about to address that with his personal testimony. But one of the things is, 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 is this principle. If power really is perfected in weakness, don't you just feel like you ought to be a superhero? Because <laughs> we are weak people. We are in so much need of grace. Now we see here Paul's testimony of affliction. He talks about his affliction there in verses 8 through 10a. Our affliction which came to us in Asia. We're not quite sure what that was. It probably occurred in Ephesus. It might have been his arrest uh, we're not quite sure, but the Corinthians were aware of it. That's why he didn't go into detail. But notice what he says. He says, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. That, that term there, Paul was pressed to the fullest extent possible. It's the same term that you would use for a ship that is overloaded and about to sink or an animal that's, there are too many burdens placed on the animal's back and he, he can't even move here. This is, how, this is the, the, the despair that Paul was uh, realizing. Now, y'all, this is important because there's this hallmark greeting card Christianity out there, this pop Christianity that says this, God will never give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. He's always given you more than you can handle. That's kind of the point of the first 10 things, right? Because if you can handle it, you don't need him. But he's teaching you grace. I want to open up a Hallmark shop. God will give you more than you can handle. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. He will give you more than you can handle. He says here that they were despaired even to life. Paul literally thought he had the sentence of death on himself. He thought, this is it. It's time for me to die. Now, now he didn't know God wanted him to write 2 Timothy before he died, right? We knew that. But he, he thinks, this is it. I'm going to be a martyr here. He despaired even to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, I am overflowing with joy in all of our affliction. Overflowing in joy with all of our affliction. For even uh, when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the giving of Titus. Did you pick up on that? The Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived, the, all you white people need to be grateful for the Apostle Paul because he he's the one that planned the church in Europe. I you may not, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Everything, everybody's so sensitive about things these days, but y'all, y'all, most of you look really European. Paul planted the church in Europe. He got depressed. He comforts us in our depression. So can Christians get depressed? Yeah, they can get depressed. That's why you got the insert in your Bible to help you pull out of it. To know that God has you written on the palm of his hands. And then we see deliverance and affliction, verses 10b through 11. And yet he will deliver us. He will yet deliver us. And also joining and helping us through your prayers. That thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. Notice the emphasis on prayer here. Prayer really does work. Here's another thing in our culture. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. People who don't even go to church, don't worship the Lord, say that all the time. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. That's not a bad thing to say, but it also just kind of reeks of that cultural sentimentality. Our thoughts are with you. I tell you what, I'll take the prayer part. I'm not sure how much the thoughts help. I do appreciate you being burdened for me and all that, but it's just too easy to say. Yeah, my thoughts are with you. How about this? Pray for them. Pray for them. 
Prayer really, really works. Philip Hughes says this, In prayer, human impotence casts itself at the feet of divine unimpotence. We are so impotent, we are so unable to handle these situations. Let's just go in prayer. And the God of all strength, of all power, of all glory, who foreordained whatsoever come to pass, will let him take care of it. Folks, we need your prayers. You need other people to be praying for you. That's another reason why we have our home groups, or we have our prayer ministries. But there's, a, there's an application here, too, that kind of is an overarching application here that's really important, not just in affliction, but in other areas. There is no substitute for Christian contentment. I'm telling you, probably the most dangerous person in our church or that would, could come into our church is not the immoral person, uh, but the bitter person. And a bitter person is a person who has gotten so envious, so jealous, so angry that, that it, tr- it alters their personality. They've not learned the power of Christian contentment. But there is great power in Christian contentment, and Christian contentment is different from the stoic contentment of the world. It is a contentment that says, I trust the Lord. Yeah, I love that. that remember that scene in 2 Samuel? Well, it's, David's recounting it as, as it, it talks about David's mighty men. Remember, he's, he, is, he is running from Saul. He's in the desert, and he says, I long to drink of the waters of, uh, is it Bethlehem? I think it was Bethlehem. And some men went and broke through the, the lines of Saul's troops and got him water and brought it. And what did David do? Thanks. No, he said, he said men risked their lives for this. I'm going to pour it out before the Lord. Every blessing we have, we need to pour out before the Lord and develop the spirit of contentment that says, whatever comes from your hand, I'll accept it. We're afraid to do that. But don't be afraid. Jeremiah Burroughs, I'm reading, th- this is a struggle of mine. I'm full, full disclosure, I'm a pretty open guy. I am on my third reading of Jeremiah Burroughs' book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I started last summer, and i am gone through this last summer. I'm on my third reading. But he says this, he's, great, he's a Puritan pastor, Jeremiah Burroughs. I mean, if I didn't tell you he was a Puritan pastor with the name Jeremiah Burroughs, would you have dr- guessed that? That or, or a homeschool kid. Christian contentment. I homeschool, by the way. So, what do you say about the homeschool? Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, grace-filled condition of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly management in every condition. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, grace-filled condition of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly management in every condition. You are a wise father, and I submit to your management of my life. You know the burdens that will fall off your back if that's your attitude? We think, well, I'm not wired that way. Don't excuse sin with your, your, your natural inclinations. You can be that way if you got the Holy Spirit. So, as Paul was lying in Rome waiting his execution, he reminded Timothy, his wonderful protege, in 2 Timothy 4, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. 
To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If, now, if you're not saved, you need to get saved today. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. You need to recognize your need for mercy and for grace and for his blood that died for your sins. If you are saved, this is your confidence too. No matter what happens, no one can snatch you out of the Father's head. The Father will deliver you safely to the heavenly kingdom. And then your, your afflictions will be a thing of the past. I'm not even sure you'll remember them. Or as Katrina Von Schagel said, and be still my soul, be still my soul, the hour is hastening on, and when we shall be forever with the Lord. If for a minute, if we could see the heaven that awaits us, we would say of every affliction that's ever hit us, it's all worth it. Because my God is good. That's a comfort. Father, please be with us. We are in such need of your help. Even as I look around, as I'm preaching this sermon, I see the... The, the, the broken hearts and the crushed bodies that are around me, God. I pray, Father, that we would learn Christian contentment and enjoy the comfort that always comes with that uh, affliction that also comes from your hand. I pray, God, that we would trust you, love you, serve you, and that you would mold us with the affliction that comes into our lives to have more love and more service for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.